Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. That's Matthew chapter 6, 5, verse 15, 5 through 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, Would you join me as we continue to worship, as we pray? Blessed Lord, who caused all scripture to be written for our learning, pray that you grant that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Since the fall of last year, I've been convicted to pray more intentionally, um, pray more biblically, and seeking to honor Christ in my prayer life. Um, It's something that I've I've been wrestling with and thinking a lot about, especially as I've been facilitating the CGS corporate um, congregational prayer. Also, as I look back to my personal prayer life, and also as we spend time as a family praying with our kids. I don't know if you ever listen to yourself pray, um, what you pray, and even how you pray, um, the content of your prayer as well as the manner in which you seek the Lord. Because I gotta confess that, you know, um, if I'm not intentional about what I pray and how I pray, my prayer life can sound awfully unchristian. Um, my prayer life can really be self absorbed and self centered. And sometimes I wonder, I wonder if my prayer sounds any different than people of other faith or just people in general who might throw up a prayer when they are under duress? Do my prayers reflect the kind of priorities that really honor God? Are my prayers really grounded in God's word? When I think about my prayer, I also think about my speech. And if I'm not in a good place with God, and Pastor Eugene has been talking about the the vertical relationship with God versus the horizontal relationship we have with others. If I'm not in a good place vertically with God, then 
I find myself craving, starving for other people's affirmation. Uh, what they would think about me would have a greater power and influence. And whether I'm coming from a one-to-one -one conversation with a person to a small group gathering we'll be sharing together, or something like this where I'm speaking to a larger congregation group, I might find myself thinking, or maybe even depending on how I'm doing, losing sleep. It's like, did I, should I have said that? Oh, man, I was so stupid. Why did I say that? Why didn't I not say that instead? I don't know if you toss and turn sometimes over something small or something maybe significant and lose sleep over those kind of things. I have to also confess that I don't lose sleep over what God might think as much as I should. If I lose sleep, it's mostly, more usually, because of I'm worried about what people may be thinking of me, not what God might be thinking. There are times when I do lose sleep over what God may think, and those are the moments when God is kind of really challenging me, convicting me, perhaps because I might have compromised the word, and instead of saying something or not saying something, I did the reverse. But more often than not, my speech, my intentionality, my carefulness of my words have far more to do with what others may think, how they may view me, than what the Lord God would think. And until the Lord returns for the second time, I feel like I'm going to be wrestling with this. Um, you may have read books on prayer yourself too. Some of the books I read on prayer more recently, um, Praying the Bible or Praying Backwards, Transform Your Prayer Life uh, by Beginning in Jesus' Name. But one of the books that I read more recently in the fall last year with the Elder Session um, was titled Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. And as we were reading and sharing and speaking, it really kind of challenged me to Rethink about my prayer life. Rethink a little bit more about our prayer life corporately and my family prayer life. Um, today's passage about righteous praying is sandwiched between what Pastor Eugene preached last week about righteous giving and what I believe he'll be preaching next week about righteous fasting. Um, at the heart of being right, doing spirituality right, Righteous giving, praying, or fasting is about knowing who the audience is. That we're not looking for human affirmation, man's you know, approval, but that we are doing it for God as we look to God. The vertical is paramount. You got to get the vertical right first before seeking the horizontal relationship. You gotta fear God first before anything else or else you will fear man. Um, as we go through the passage, we're gonna look at unrighteous praying or unrighteous petition and then move, as we move into the Lord's Prayer today, look at what righteous God-centered petitions look like and what righteous personal petitions look like. Follow along with me in your little notes uh, or as we continue through the Bible. So when we look at verses 5 and 6, 
we're told, don't pray like the hypocrites. Pray to God. Don't pray to people or for people. You got to be praying to God, looking to God. Now, the word hypocrite is a, back in the ancient context, it's, it's a play about actors putting on a mask. So they are acting with the goal of portraying a certain image. And here, the emphasis about this conscious deception intending to gather this attention. Now, people back in those days would be gathered at synagogues like a church, uh, and people would often stand and pray, and if you're standing, then the attention is on that person, kind of like I'm standing now, so I feel even greater burden. Um, And it's a common way that people did pray, standing. And synagogue, like a church today, was a center of community, it's a center of worship, and it's a very public posture to be praying. But Jesus is saying, don't pray like a hypocrite. And those, uh, back in Jesus' time, people uh, had a couple of different official times of prayer, typically um, third and ninth hour, and sometimes the uh, midday was added. And those are the times when people should be praying. So if Jesus is pointing out, don't pray like the hypocrites who stand in the street corner between two junctions where people are going, passing by, you're seeking people's attention. The busiest time of the day. Because if that's what you want, that's all you're going to get. People's recognition and affirmation. And you won't get a hearing from God. It's a humble, poignant reminder for people like me and many of us who go into the rotation of praying corporately here on Sunday, as well as a little less formally on Saturday morning, that we take heed to remembering who the audience is. Clearly, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray corporately. Jesus prayed in groups, in public, to thousands of people. So the point isn't that we shouldn't pray corporately but ultimately to remember what the point of prayer really is. So instead of praying for that kind of public affirmation and acclamation, how are we to pray? Jesus says, go to an inner room of a house. Now, this is probably referring to perhaps the only room in a house that has a door. Most rooms didn't have doors, okay? Not like privacy was not the issue back in those days. And this is probably the only room that probably didn't have a window. So it's basically shut in. Find a room where no one can see you and no distraction will be given to you. And typically, this might be a storage room, not the most clean room around the house. But nevertheless, the point is that the father who sees you in secret will be the one hearing your prayer. A true reward for prayer um, is hearing, having God hear our prayer. And it's, it's about authenticity, prayer by definition, is about being with God. Primarily, that's what it's about. Now, we pray corporately, we pray to God with one another, but it's ultimately to God and God alone. Again, just to make it clear, Jesus isn't against us praying in corporate. But again, he does this again and again. Check your heart. Be authentic. Don't put on a mask. 
Don't seek someone else's attention. Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, gives us pretty helpful structure that kind of you can parallel your life um, in contrast to or in comparison to the tabernacle. We went through uh, book of Exodus for many of us. And in the book of Exodus, tabernacle is set up with three structure, structures, right? You have the outer court where people are present. And you have the inner chamber, which is the holy place, and you have the holy of holies. The outer court kind of reflects where anyone has access. It's a public you. And this would be a public space we worship together, um, etc. Um, but there is this inner chamber that you will choose to allow people to come in. And this could be a small group, this could be your family, your friends that you will pray with. The kind of prayer you will pray in a Public setting will be different in the level of intimacy when you pray in a smaller group. But we believe in a priesthood of all believers. We get to access the holy of holies alone, not with someone else or through someone else. And that's where it's only you and God, only me and God, where there's no other hindrances. Only God is allowed there. No other distractions, no other acknowledgments, but just God alone. McCain, Murray McCain says, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Whether we are talking about righteous giving, praying, eventually fasting, When I find myself hungering for human recognition, and there are moments when that happens more, like, like find this need to like steal for a glance that someone see me, hear me, this or that, then I find myself, as I find myself, and perhaps as you find yourself trusting less in the full sufficiency of what Christ has done, but want to hear someone's you know, good job, or that was great, or want to see someone's recognition of what you might be doing. Those are the moments then that we, we have to come back to the cross. Pastor Eugene has been going over this again and again. We don't just start with the gospel. We come back to the gospel again and again because whenever you and I feel the need to hear that kind of affirmation, it's just a simple reminder, we gotta go back to the cross. I gotta trust in the full sufficiency of what I'm worth, who I am, that I am fully approved by the finished work of the cross and nothing else. Because if I don't go there, I will go to someone else, want to hear someone else, want to see someone else validating me. Jesus tells us not to pray like the pagans who babble in verses 7 and 8, but pray succinctly, thoughtfully. Now, back in those days, Gentiles um, thought of prayer often as kind of a magical phrase. They had this kind of a pantheon of God system where gods were more human than really um, the Lord God that we see of the Bible, who they believe controlled nature. They had to be appeased. They were angry, and they had to be kind of convinced so when they prayed, they found themselves praying repetitive prayers, 
in their attempt to get their attention, they, they would pray in a way that would convince their God because of the wrath that they might have against them and give them a favorable response when they petition. However, the truth of the gospel, we come back to the cross. There is no wrath of God toward us anymore. The wrath has been placed on Christ. We don't need to come to God afraid because the wrath of the Father has been fully appeased in the finished work of the Son on the cross. So we don't have to repeat again and again in our kind of insecure desire to appease this wrath of God. No, someone else has done that, and he's Jesus. And we don't have to repeat again and again or pray long prayer because we're unsure that he has our best interest. He has already proven his best interest for us. So how do you pray? How do I pray? God already knows. And prayer, above all, is really about worshiping God, about depending on God himself. You know, Jesus occasionally prayed through the whole night. Long prayers. Jesus repeated prayers, especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was about to be betrayed. He repeated the same prayer, take this cup away from me, but not my will be done. Again and again. So Jesus, again, is not specifically only talking about don't pray long prayers, don't pray repetitive prayers. That's not the point. But actually, the Gentiles mainly pray this way to coerce God, to get something that they wanted from their gods. Whether long-winded prayers or repetitive prayers, they pray this way to have their way. They wanted to manipulate God. It was more like a magical incantation, repetition to get what they wanted. And that's exactly what we are not to pray. To pray in a way that, God, do this. You've got to do this, this way for me. Where we're coercing God and using certain prayer to have that desired effect. And in contrast, in contrast to such prayer, we are to give petitions where we are to be thoughtful, sincere, and direct. Followers of Jesus who live in the 21st century, sometimes I think we have kind of taken the Lord's prayer, praying in Jesus' name in a similar fashion. Like, if I put in Jesus' name at the end, it's kind of like it will seal the deal kind of thing. And I've heard uh, people preaching this way as if, um, but that's the very thing that Jesus is preaching against. Whether it's power words about inducing God to act on our behalf to get what we want, or really meaningless adding of in Jesus' name, Brian Chapel's. Um, praying backward is a good reminder what it means to truly pray in Jesus' name. And I'm, again, brought back. What does it mean to examine ourselves so that we don't pray hypocritically, we don't pray mechanically, we don't pray with the desire to control God? When I'm tired, my sinful tendency is 
to pray jump right into what I want. Supplications, typically. God, I want this, I want this, make this happen. Um, I don't have to be taught to give petitions unto the Lord. My natural, self-serving, default mode is, I'll petition, I'll ask God. I won't naturally adore God and praise God. I won't naturally confess my sin. And I won't naturally give thanks to the Lord. But I will naturally, pretty easily turn to supplication. So for those of us, you know, who are doing the congregational prayer, I would ask, pray through acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It goes against our natural kind of default human tendency to be self-absorbed. And it's a teaching moment that we try to intentionally prepare so that when people come up to pray on behalf of the church, we want to both teach you guys and pray with you to look to him for his glory. The sad part is when I'm tired, sometimes I just fall into the rut of just going real fast to supplication. And usually, if I'm fighting, it's because, um, especially with my kids, I, I want to be a better dad who, because I've been hearing their prayers, and their prayers sound like the way they do because they've been hearing my prayers. So it's an indictment against me. So I, I, I want them to pray differently, pray in a way that is more biblical, pray in a way that is more Christian than just a prayer with Jesus' name at the end, because this is what I want, and in Jesus' name, God, give it to me. Lord is not just all-powerful, all-loving, all-truthful, but he is wise beyond our understanding. He knows our human condition that's why he says when, he pray, when we pray, pray like this. Start with God first. I know you'll get to yourself. Pray with God first. God's concerns first. God-centered petitions before you go into your personal petitions. As, as right as those things are, start with God-centered petitions. John Calvin parallels this with the Ten Commandments where the first part starts with the focus on honoring God and then the latter part with people and neighbor. The duty to God is paramount. You got to get that correct first. The vertical relationship has to be established first before you do anything horizontally. Because like the Pharisees and all of us, our self-centeredness, we desire our glory before God's in a natural way. When we look at the verses 9 through 10, Jesus teaches us, um, pray like this. Pray like this. This is going to be a model of prayer. It's going to be a statement of our Christian priorities. You start with God first. Okay, pray like this, people. Disciples, pray like this. And he continues by saying, Our Father. 
It's, it's funny because he's saying pray in secret, but the pronoun he uses is our, not my, our. Even if you are praying privately, we never pray alone. We pray with, we pray through Christ and we pray with one another. Yes, it is personal and private, but we are praying for one another, brothers in Christ, as a church, and we're praying through Jesus Christ who made it possible. And then he uses the word father, which is really, really antithetical to anything pagan. God is not a father in a typical pagan context, but here the emphasis is made about the relationship. I know this is a familiar passage to perhaps many of us, but I just want you to just take that and just let that sink in. God wants you and us, you and I, to relate with him as a relational, intimate, father-child relationship. And then he continues with the first uh, God-centered petition. Hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. A person's name spoke of the very essence of the person. And holiness was of God's divine character. So when we are praying for hallowed be thy name, we're essentially saying, God, may your holiness be our highest priority. And we ask that his glory be promoted. And it fundamentally competes against our desire for our name to be great. Like, who is in our mind the most? It's us, not God. It's always from my perspective, what I'm thinking. That's why we seek holiness of his name, combating against that sinful tendency. It's got to be about his name. And second, God-centered petition, your kingdom come. Essentially meaning, God, rule over everything, big and small. May your reign happen here and now in all areas of life. Now, clearly, God's name won't be fully honored until Christ returns. Um, but we begin with the emphasis and the holiness of his name being proclaimed and his kingdom coming. And again, it competes against our desire for our little kingdom. Even if it's a small kingdom, we want a little peace. That's our sinful nature. We want to be little Lord of this little territory, but God demands all. His kingdom to come in small and big areas in all areas of life, that he would rule and nothing will be remain separate, put separately. And the third petition, God-centered righteous petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a summary of the, of the previous first and second petition that we start with. And there's a clear tension, right? There is a tension between what ought to be versus what is. Because what's on earth it's not really fully what really from God's perspective should be happening from heaven's perspective. 
Your will be done. The Lord prays this prayer again. But we want our will to be done. More often than not, I want my will to be done. But we start for his name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And after we go through this righteous, God-centered petitions, focusing on God, because our human nature naturally wants to have our kingdom, our will to be done, have our way, then we begin to shift. Once the vertical petition, once the vertical relationship is placed, then we begin to focus on um, what happens relationally with other people. And here we have the righteous personal petitions happen. we see in verse 11. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's the first time we see our instead of your, right? Your kingdom, your will. Now, finally, our bread. Give us our bread, daily bread. So, this is a radical prayer. I know Hoyong, Elder Hoyong prayed about what's happening with the federal government and people are struggling and because you know, they're not getting paid. But this is about talking about day laborers who live on one day's wage at a time. And it's using that language of give us, a, give us this day our daily bread like the way you would provide for a day laborer who if they don't get paid on that day, they're not going to eat. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you in that kind of, with that radical dependence and trust. This is really hard because most of us, even if we don't get paid like a day late, a week late, a month late, our cupboards have dry pasta, canned goods. There are places we can go to get food stamp if we really are able to humble ourselves, etc., etc. Here we're talking about the kind of dependence that is really day to day. Most of us, we don't experience this kind of radical dependence. Now, because Pastor Eugene talked about giving and generosity last week, most of us are positioned to have, we have more than what we need for today. And that positions us well to be generous, but also be aware that positions all of us to not radically depend on God. It gives us the potential to be generous and to be giving. But it also positions us to not radically depend on his daily provision. We need to be aware and be vigilant against that kind of both potential to be a great steward Yet with that comes the great temptation to not to depend on God. The righteous personal petition number two, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We move from our daily need to, Jesus uses actually a financial language, debt. But in, in the gospel, the word debt is often used to describe sin that we have committed against God. 
um, the payment that is due, debt that we owe spiritually, referencing to sin. And here, this sin, forgiveness, communal unity, language gets repeated by Matthew quite a bit. I preached on this about a month ago. Um, but here, our personal experience of God's forgiveness has to equate to our experience of giving that kind of forgiveness to those around. If I am renewed in my relationship, if this relationship is renewed between me and God, then this relationship needs to be renewed and renewing. Vertical restoration with God necessitates horizontal restoration with those around us or else this really isn't authentic. It's really the point. And Jesus continues with the third personal petition. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, don't make us succumb to temptation. Give us strength because the evil one, the evil one will tempt us and test us. Matthew talks about the evil one doing a lot of things, twisting God's word in chapter 537, um, taking the truth out of our hearts from chapter 13, verse 9, sowing evil in our lives in chapter 13, verse 39. Spiritual warfare is real. If you notice these three personal petitions, the first one is, is, is an immediate physical need of great dependence, radical dependence. The last two, really, Jesus points out, when we seek God, our petitions, personal ones, yes, the great emphasis is really on spiritual matters. I think about what I pray for. Think about what you pray for. Jesus teaches us to pray like this. It's a model that we can follow as we examine how we pray, what we pray. I want to encourage you, exhort you to examine, think about. Because if we don't think and reflect, our default mode will just kick in and you'll just pray. And oftentimes, I will pray like the pagans pray in a babbling way without thinking. We need to be intentional, thoughtful, not just going to kind of a rote memorization mode where we're saying things that are not really meaningful. There's an addendum that ends the Lord's Prayer that kind of goes back to, again, what I preached about a month ago. And it, this, this addendum also goes back to the second personal petition. Uh, again, the emphasis on the absolute necessity of community harmony, that the body of Christ needs to be reconciled. A Christ follower who has a broken relationship with someone in community essentially has a broken relationship with God. If you, if I am having a hard time forgiving someone, if I'm holding a grudge and I cannot release that, then that's a clear indication that this is not right. Because if this is right, then this will be released. It's a bidding from Christ to come back to the cross. We think 
they don't deserve it. But then again, as my wife would remind me, in our sinful moments of frustration, when we feel like that to anyone in our lives, how must God feel about the way we relate with him? A group of Americans visited Charles Spurgeon last century in London and visited the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle, the church. And they wanted to know, what's the secret of your great congregation? And Spurgeon brought the uh, group of Americans down to the boiler room downstairs, where no one really sees, and showed them a group of about 100 men and women who were praying for the service. And he would tell them that corporate prayer, secret prayer in the life of God's people is what enables this ministry to happen. We have to be a praying congregation. During our Sunday service, we have to be praying. Saturday mornings, we have to be praying. Sunday mornings, we have to be praying. But we also have to be praying as a smaller group, as families, as a smaller gatherings of fellowships and affinity group. I love the fact that the young adult will be praying together. Praise the Lord. I didn't even talk about this with them anyway. But it, it fills up my heart with great delight. But we also have to be praying alone. Because we're sinful, we can't not be totally not self-conscious when we are with others. We need to be praying where there are no distractions, where we are praying alone with God, for God, to be in his presence. So as we continue, I want to challenge you to think about the way we pray, the way we seek the Lord. I want to ask you, are you praying? Am I praying? Because I wrestle with this on a regular basis. Am I praying in a way, am I speaking in a way to get people's attention more? Or am I seeking to form words because these things really bring greater glory to God? And as I think about what I pray, the content and the structure of my prayer, whether you go through acts, adoration, confession of sin, thanksgiving, confession, or you, you do something else, when I look at what I pray for, is it really righteous, God-centered prayer, or am, am I praying personal prayers that, I, that aren't even righteous, but I'm focusing on a small part? Because Jesus teaches us pray like this, and the bulk of two-thirds of these personal prayer petitions are about the spiritual reality and the gravity of our sin, forgiving one another, and living in that kind of harmony. Spirituality is about spiritual discipline, above all. It's about knowing who your audience is. When we do this right, we will care less about what others think. Not like they don't matter, but we won't fear them. We won't need their affirmation, their accolades. We won't, feed, we won't need as much because we are getting that through the finished work 
of the cross. I invite you to come back to the cross because that's the only place you can start and that's the only place we can go. Join me as we pray.